Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're going to time, this is the time of the service we call the prayer of invocation. Fancy. Um, this is about uh, inviting ourselves into God's presence, recognizing God's presence with us. Um, I want to say right out of the shoot, um, some years are better than others, are they not? This is one of those, for our family, Really, really bad years so far. I, it could still turn around. I really hope it does. But this is one of those where when we're saying goodbye to 2016, at this point, I will, I will not be unhappy to see it go. Um, we have been challenged uh, with some health stuff. We've been challenged with a lot of financial stuff. We've been challenged with some personal stuff, family stuff, kids stuff. It's kind of one of those years when everything that could go wrong, well, not everything, but quite a bit, manages to find some way to do so. But as you know, when you have these years, you pray more than you ever did otherwise. And uh, we have seen in each of those areas, God do a little miracle. I'd put them in a sermon, but I have a policy of not preaching about things until they're scars, not open bleeding wounds. And so uh, when they're scarred over, maybe next year I'll tell you all about it. But um, we have seen God work. So one of the things I love about this congregation, I love about all of you, is that we can come here on Sunday and nothing weird is going to happen. You know what I'm talking about? I grew up in some churches where you came Sunday and something weird really might happen. And I like that nothing weird is going to happen here this morning. But uh, it's not a church where nothing happens. I wanted to remind us this morning, we believe in a God who works in our lives. We believe in a God who, who cares about sometimes the most mundane thing. And he does miracles in our lives. And if we don't still believe in a God who intervenes in our life, uh, what are we all doing here? If we don't still believe in a God who intervenes in our lives, what are we doing here? So let's use our prayer of invocation this morning to remember that we come here this morning to hold up our lives to God in an in a expectation that he will intervene. He'll show us something we haven't seen. He'll do something that probably quite unexpected to save us. Maybe from a big thing, maybe from a small thing. Nothing escapes his notice. That will be a great place for us to start this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning, some of us in a great place. Some of us, in a not-so-good place, and some in a terrible place. And we all come to say, Blessed be your name. Father, we believe this morning that you are a part of our lives. You have led us even to this morning. Lord, we need your help. Strengthen our faith again by showing us the miracles that you do. We take a deep breath. We open ourselves up. We open our eyes to see what you will do in our life this week. My name is Doug Johnston, and this is my story. My great-grandma, Georgia Elizabeth Cargyle, was a mother of eight children and the wife of a bootlegger turned evangelist preacher for 40 years. All the days I knew her, she was in her late 80s and 90s with the faith of a juggernaut and a smile on her face. Grandma Cargyle taught me one of the most powerful lessons on faith that I have ever had, and that was simply to pray, all the time and for everything. 
whether it was for an illness, threatening her friend's gerbil, or asking for help, finding one's keys when they're lost, she would pray for it. And God would surely answer her prayer, though sometimes in unexpected ways. You might think this sounds like word of faith, where the very words you pray hold power apart from God, but it wasn't like that. She genuinely believed that God loved us so much, so unconditionally, that no concern of ours, no matter how mundane or seemingly insignificant, was something that God didn't want to hear about or be a part of. A couple years into high school, I started to really practice this understanding of prayerful faith. I began to view everyday actions and encounters as things that would be worth praying for. Some, someone isn't able to get their lock, locker open. A kid's car won't start. Someone walks sheepishly alone in the hallway. Kids across the way are laughing dirty and her, at dirty and hurtful jokes at lunch. In my senior year, I was the drummer and vocalist in a Christian rock metalcore band called Stricken. We were in the Battle of the Bands competition at Yahweh, one of the more popular annual events for small indie bands in KC at the time. Points in this competition were a combination of judges' votes, crowd reaction, and professionalism. Part of, that part of that professionalism was being there and ready to go on time. You were docked 10 points if you were late. In the middle of loading gear for the show, I had to go, to go a few miles away to pick up a gal who was a special guest singer in one of our songs. As soon as we got back, I ran in to finish loading my drums. On my first trip back to the car, I looked down and saw that my back driver's side tire had gone totally flat to the ground. I freaked out momentarily because the hole or gash had to be quite large for the tire to lose all of its air so quickly. But we were already on the verge of being late to the show. I still had to finish loading, and we didn't have a different vehicle to move everything to. So I did what my grandma Cargyle would do. I walked over to the dang thing, aired it up, and prayed for it. It sounds silly, but I was dead serious. Partly because I wanted to be on time, but mostly because I was very serious about the worship I felt our band and our fans had when we played shows, and I didn't want this stupid thing to mess that up. After I finished loading, we tried the water and soap method to find the leak, and nothing. Kind of shocked, I just said, well, shoot, God must have healed it. And we both jumped in the car and went on to the show. We ended up winning first place by less than 10 points. And the crazy part was not only did the tire not lose air that night, but it never lost air again. I genuinely believe he healed that tire. I know, it's weird. But I know God did it, and I, and I know it was just a tire. And if you look at it from the very human standpoint of healing of this versus that, I know that every day there are millions of more catastrophic things going on that people pray just as earnestly for that don't go the way they would hope. But I've realized through experiences like this that God didn't fix the tire because I needed a tire fixed. He repaired the tire because he knew I would see him when he did it. He was speaking to me in a place where I could hear him. My faith in that moment created an opportunity for God to say, I'm here with you, I love you, and I want great things for you. And I would recognize him in that moment. I struggle more now than I did then to maintain focus on God as I go through all the details of my day. Paul wasn't kidding when he said in 1 Corinthians 7 that an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. But despite not being as constantly attentive, I still 
see and hear God in little things from time to time. And when I do, I am reminded of all the times that have come before when I heard God and I am again filled with great faith and joy for such a gracious and loving God. I imagine God is doing small, small, relatively unseen things all the time that would personally say to you or to me, I am here, I love you. Things that perhaps only you or I would notice and recognize it as God. It's just a matter of staying attentive, being in a faithful posture of listening for when God speaks, in whatever form that may take for where my faith is at today. My name is Doug Johnston, and this is my story. Good morning, everyone. Well, relax. It's story time. This story is written by Paul Villard. It's from his own life, and you'll tell from the first paragraph, he's a little bit older than you are. When I was quite young, my family had one of the first telephones in our neighborhood. I remember well the polished oak case fastened to the wall on the lower side uh, stair landing. The shiny receiver hung on the side of the box. I even remember the number, 105. I was too little to reach the telephone, but I used to listen with fascination when my mother talked to it. She once lifted me up to speak to my father, who was away on business. Magic. Then I discovered that somewhere inside that wonderful device lived an amazing person, and her name was Information Please. There was nothing she did not know. My mother could ask her for anybody's number. When our clock ran down, information, please, immediately supplied the right time. My first experience with this, uh, personal experience with this genie and the receiver came one day while my mother was visiting a neighbor. Amusing myself at the tool bench in the basement, I whacked my finger with a hammer. The pain was terrible. But there didn't seem to be much use crying because no one was home to offer sympathy. I walked around the house, sucking my throbbing finger, finally arriving at the stairway, the telephone. I quickly ran for the footstool in the parlor and dragged it to the landing. Climbing up, I unhooked the receiver and held it to my ear. Information, please, I said into the mouthpiece just above my head. A click or two and a small, clear voice spoke into my ear. Information. I hurt my finger, I wailed into the phone. The tears came readily enough now that I had an audience. Isn't your mother home, came the question. Nobody's home but me, I blubbered. Are you bleeding? No, I replied. I hit it with a hammer and it hurts. Can you open your ice box, she asked. I said I could. Then chip off a little piece of ice and hold it to your finger. That will stop the hurt. Be careful when you use the ice pick, she admonished. And don't cry, you'll be all right. After that, I called information please for everything. (laughs) I asked for help with my geography. She told me where Philadelphia was. And the Orinoco, the romantic river I was going to explore when I grew up. She helped me with my arithmetic. She told me that my pet chipmunk, I had caught him in the park just the day before, would eat fruit and nuts. And there was the time that Petey, our pet canary, died. I called information, please, and told her the whole sad story. She listened and then said the usual things grown-ups say to soothe the child. But I was unconsoled. Why was it that birds should sing so beautifully and bring joy to whole families, only to end up as a heap of feathers feet up at the bottom of a cage? 
She must have sensed my deep concern, for she quietly said, Paul, always remember that there are other worlds to sing in. Somehow I felt better. Another day I was at the telephone. Information, said the now familiar voice. How do you spell fix, I asked. Fix something? F-I-X. At that instant, my sister, who took unholy joy in scaring me, jumped off the stairs at me with a banshee shriek. Yeah! I fell off the stool, pulling the receiver out of the box by the roots. We were both terrified. Information, please, was no longer there. And I was not at all sure I hadn't hurt her when I pulled out the receiver. (laughs) Minutes later, there was a man on the porch. I'm a telephone repairman. I was working down the street, and the operator said there might be some trouble at this number. He reached for the receiver on my hand. What happened? I told him. Well, I can fix that in a minute or two. He opened the telephone box, exposing a maze of wires and coils, and fiddled for a while with the end of the receiver cord, tightening things with a screwdriver. Then he jiggled the hook up and down a few times and spoke into the phone. Hi, this is Pete. Everything's under control at 105. The kid's sister scared him and he pulled the cord out of the box. He hung up, smiled, gave me a pat on the head, and walked out the door. All this took place in a small town in the Pacific Northwest. Then when I was nine years old, we moved across the country to Boston, and I missed my mentor acutely. Information, please, belonged in that old wooden box back home, and I somehow never thought of trying the tall, skinny new phone that sat in a small table in the hall. Yet as I grew into my teens, the memories of those childhood conversations never really left me. Often in moments of doubt and perplexity, I recall recall the serene sense of security I had when I knew I could call information, please, and get the right answer. I appreciate now how very patient, understanding, and kind she was to have wasted her time on a little boy. A few years later, on my way west to college, my plane put down in Seattle. I had about half an hour between plane connections. I spent 15 minutes or so on the phone with my sister, who lived there now, happily mellowed by marriage and motherhood. Then, really without thinking what I was doing, I dialed my hometown operator and said, Information, please. Miraculously, I heard the small, clear voice I knew so well. Information. I hadn't planned this, but I heard myself saying, Could you tell me, please, how to spell the word fix? There was a long pause. Then came the softly spoken answer. I guess, said information, please, that your finger must have healed by now. (laughs) I laughed. So it's really still you. I wonder if you have any idea how much you meant to me during all that time. I wonder, she replied, if you know how much you meant to me. I never had any children, and I used to look forward to your calls. Silly, wasn't it? It didn't seem silly, but I didn't say so. Instead, I told her how often I had thought of her over the years and asked if I could call her again when I came back to visit my sister after the first semester was over. Please do. Just ask for Sally. Goodbye, Sally. It sounded strange for information, please, to have a name. (laughs) If I run into any chipmunks, I'll tell them to eat fruit and nuts. Do that, she said, and I expect one of these days you'll be off to the Orinoco. Goodbye. Just three months later, I was back again at Seattle Airport. A different voice answered information, and I asked for Sally. Are you a friend? Yes, I said, an old friend. Then I'm sorry to have to tell you, Sally is only... 
Sally has only been working part-time in the last few years because she was ill, and she died five weeks ago. But before I could hang up, she said, wait a minute, did you say your name was Villard? Yes. Well, Sally left a message for you. She wrote it down. What was it? I asked, almost knowing in advance what it would be. Here it is. I'll read it. Tell him I still say there are other worlds to sing in. He'll know what I mean. I thanked her and hung up. I did know what Sally meant. This morning is about God appointments. The bringing together of two people who seem like they might be randomly or unconnected, but it's not random and they're not unconnected. They're connected by God who is arranging a moment to get done something only he can get done. We're studying the book of Acts really is what we're doing. And one of Jesus' last words to his disciples in the book of Acts went like this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, how is that going to happen? You've read the story, right? Even telling people about Jesus in Jerusalem where the thing was planted, it didn't exactly sprout up and go really well. How is it going to get to the ends of the earth, out to people who don't even have a scriptural background to understand things like the Messiah and so forth? The answer to that question begins in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We're going to follow Philip for this one. Philip was one of the 12 disciples. You don't hear much about, except in this story. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside that carriage. And this is the beginning of a God appointment. Now, of course, the non-mystical mind will hear stories like this and like this and say, those are coincidences. The feelings that produced them are hunches. And there's nothing I can say uh, to prove to a non-mystical mind that mystical things happen. You simply have to decide for yourself, what kind of mind do you have? You have to decide for yourself, what have you seen with your own eyes? What have you experienced in your own life? And then how do you choose to interpret that experience? It's a choice you make, you know, to label it mystical or coincidence. So who are these people? Okay, Philip, a follower of Jesus after the resurrection and Jesus has gone on. What about this Ethiopian eunuch, treasurer, servant of the queen? That's a lot. Well, first of all, I want to say, do you know what the Romans called Ethiopia? The ends of the earth. It was outside their empire. It was as far south as they really ever got. They considered that 
kingdom to be the ends of the earth in the south to them. I'm sure being Roman, they knew something passed there, but how would the Romans probably say it? It's not the ends of the earth, but you sure see it from there. This guy is a treasurer, and it says he's a eunuch. That means this guy has been castrated. What's up with that? Well, very often in that time, and actually for almost, well, probably more than a thousand years after, did you catch that he worked for the queen? Ethiopia had a queen, not a king. Um, And if a man was going to be working in close, close proximity with the queen or the princesses, he would be castrated. This would remove all sexual function and sexual desire, and then you knew that he could be trusted to be alone with the queen and the princesses. These positions offered so much wealth and power that many times the men would submit to that procedure willingly because it was going to offer a lot of wealth, a lot of power, a lot of security. They weren't going to miss their sexuality after they were castrated because it removes not only function but also desire. So many of them considered it a reasonable trade, and and this guy probably underwent that on purpose. Why has he been Jerusalem worshiping? And writing back, reading a scroll of Isaiah. Well, you have to remember at this time, polytheism and paganism ruled the whole Roman Empire and North Africa too. And so they had all this pantheon of gods, many of whom behaved like spoiled children in most of the stories. They had gods of sex. They had gods of war. They had gods of sex and war. And they were very unpredictable and very hard to please. As Jews spread out through the empire and set up synagogues, this idea of one all-powerful God, creator of all with no competitors, who was a God not of sacrifice and sexuality, but a God of of wisdom, sanity, and love, was a welcome new thing. They couldn't become Jewish. Well, they could, but they'd have to be circumcised. And you can imagine a lot of adult men were not super, we're excited about that. So uh, they would stay at the outside at the edges of the synagogue, and they were called God-fearers. They wouldn't become Jewish, but they would worship this one God because it was, it was a neat idea. And this is what this guy was. He's coming back from Jerusalem. He's got a whole scroll of Isaiah for himself, so he's obviously wealthy. Scrolls, especially the Isaiah scroll, which was enormous, were expensive. Verse 30. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? This Bible is a deep well of wisdom for us. But all of us at various times are going to come across passages that are just too hard for us to understand. And we're going to need a guide to walk us through. And here today, through a God appointment, God is bringing a guide to this Ethiopian eunuch to understand Isaiah. I have another story of a God appointment. This one comes from the Bishop Tom Wright of England. He says, I was once visiting Cambridge, the English Cambridge, not the American one, to do some lectures. 
One afternoon, I was working on the themes for the lecture still to come when I found, to my surprise, an urgent thought in my head. Go to Evensong at King's College. Now, I love choral Evensong, but I was going to be attending other services, and I had lots of work to do. And if I had been going to attend Evensong, I might have thought of going to St. John's College, whose choir was more famous at the time. But the thought wouldn't leave me alone. Back and back it came. Go to Evensong at King's. So eventually, feeling rather foolish and not even sure what time the service was to be, I went. I arrived just at the minute the choir was about to process in. The massive chapel seemed to be absolutely full, mostly of Japanese tourists. Glancing around, I could only see one spare seat anywhere. Fortunately, it was at the end of a row, so I hurried over and took the seat as the choir came in and the music began. As I sat down, somewhat breathless, I felt a hand grip my arm. I looked round and saw, to my astonishment, an old friend, a New Testament scholar, much older than myself, Bill Farmer from Dallas in Texas. Tom Wright, he said, what are you doing here? He had no idea I was going to be in Cambridge. I lived in Litchfield at the time. Bill, I replied, what are you doing here? I had no idea he was going to be in England, let alone in Cambridge, let alone in Kings and in that seat. The music began and we couldn't continue our conversation. Instead, he pulled out a small pocket diary and a space for the date. He had written three words in block capitals, call Tom Wright. We stared at it in amazement. Bill, who has now gone on to his rest, was a man of faith and prayer. He hadn't phoned, but the call had got through anyway. I'm not suggesting that Bill and I were somehow like Philip and the Ethiopian, merely that like many people, I very occasionally have a sense of something strange going on, and I find myself somewhere I hadn't expected, and know that whatever is going on, I better go with it. And in this case, the parallel is somewhat closer than it might be. Because the reason Bill wanted to call me was because he was organizing a conference and he wanted me to be one of the speakers. The conference was to be on the interpretation of Isaiah 53 in the New Testament. I went. In a, it was a deeply formative experience for me and helped me enormously with the work I was doing at the time. And of course, the interpretation of Isaiah 53, the Old Testament passage the Ethiopian was reading, which Philip interpreted to him, is what our present passage is all about. Isaiah 53 is a fascinating passage in a fascinating book of the Old Testament. It was written five or 700 years before Christ, depending on who you ask. So when Philip climbed up into that carriage, he was reading five to 700 year old scroll that said words like this. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He interpreted to the eunuch words written 500 to 700 years before Jesus that said things like, unjustly condemned, he was led away, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. I can't prove that Isaiah was writing a prophecy of Jesus to the unmystical mind. But I can tell you that's exactly what Philip thought that passage meant. In verse 35, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. 
As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. God gets done what only God could get done. On this day, he makes a God appointment to make sure that the gospel reaches Ethiopia through an official in the court of their queen. Even today, Ethiopia is considered the most anciently Christian and the most Christian nation in Africa. God appointments. A few years ago, uh, we were remodeling our kitchen. And an electrician was over at the house. He was putting in the switch plates, putting in the plugs. He saw something in the house that alerted him to my job. So he said, are you a preacher? I said, yes. He said, all right. I'm going to tell you a story, and I want you to tell me if you think this sort of thing really happens. Okay. He said, so I used to be an electrician in Houston. I worked for an electrical company, and one day my boss uh, went to some church service, and he became a Christian, and he got baptized, and he went to church service every night, and every Sunday, and every Wednesday, and he he would pray in his office. And then one day he announced to us that he was going to leave the company in the hands of someone else and leave the country because God had told him to go preach Jesus to the reindeer people. He said, do you know what the reindeer people are? I said, I think I just saw it on National Geographic. I think it's a tribe of nomads that follow caribou herds in eastern Russia and northern Mongolia. He goes, yep, that reindeer people. (laughs) He said, a year later, my boss came back. And took back over the electrical company. So I went in and asked him, what happened with the reindeer people? He said, well, I got to Mongolia. I got an interpreter. I got a caravan. We went out and found where the wandering nomads were. We got invited to speak to the chief and the shaman. So I went in. He said his boss told him he was there to tell them about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that the shaman said, oh, good. We've recently had a dream that someone was going to come and tell us about the Son of God. Go ahead. All he needed to do was make sure that they had, they believed it before he came. It was just his job to make sure they had scriptures in a language they could understand and teach them how to set up a church that you could run from a tent wandering around following caribou. It took him about a year and then he came home. His God appointment was over. God gets done through God appointments what only he can do. What this eunuch learned from that passage in Isaiah is that God committed a very long time ago to save us from ourselves. God committed a long time ago to proving that he does love us and he wants to be a part of our lives. And God's commitment was so strong that he said, Five or seven hundred years before Jesus. That even if you kill me, even if you whip me and beat me and wrongly accuse me and stick me in a borrowed tomb, I will rise up 
and I will offer you eternal life over again because I am not giving up on you. I am never giving up on you. And as soon as they got anywhere near some water, the eunuch said, stop the carriage and baptize me. I will follow a God like that. What about you? What if you're not here by coincidence? What if, after your sister-in-law has been badgering you to come to church for a year, the fact that you picked this day is not a coincidence? I made that up. If it really was because your sister-in-law has been badgering for a year. She didn't tell me. That's just another God thing that just happened. It's just one shift of your mind to say mystical things don't happen to throwing that switch and saying mystical things might happen. When I was a, a teacher over at least some in high school years ago, first year teacher, got, uh, there was a girl in my class. She was, she was feisty, but she did all right, but I guess not so in her other classes. So after school, we're going to have a meeting. So I go into the meeting, tiny little suffocating room, and, uh, and there was the student and, and her parents and the principal and a district coordinator and me and like two other ever teachers. And they open up the book and they say, your grade in first hour is an F. And she stood up, threw her chair on the floor, and she let loose a blistering stream of foul words. She put obscenities together in combinations never before seen by man. They peeled the paint off the wall. They'd get her settled down and they'd go on to the next hour and she'd come all undone again. She unleashed the foulest insults I have ever heard on the principal, on her parents, on the district coordinator, on the teachers. I started looking around like, where's Father Damien? And bring the old priest too. This girl's head's going to spin around and fall off. Finally, because I was a first-year teacher, and I've never seen anything like this before, and to be honest, I never saw anything like it after that either, I stuck my hand up and said, I I I can't be in this room. And the principal looked at me like, I wish I could go with you, (laughs) and (laughs) waved me out. I staggered back to my classroom. I don't know what I looked like, but it must have been bad, because when I got to my classroom, uh, the night custodian was in there little Mexican gal, Tony. And she looked at me and said, Mr. Leahy, what is wrong with you? And because I was 23 and first year teacher, and I don't know, I just, I just poured out my heart to the night custodian. I said, I was just in this room and this girl went berserk and you couldn't believe the stuff she was saying and doing. And that girl is going to be in my class tomorrow in second hour. And, and I don't know what I can offer someone who has that kind of anger in their life. I mean, her parents just let it wash over them like it was t- any other Tuesday. And, and, and I can't imagine what I am going to do to help someone who lives like that every night. I, I got into teaching to help kids and help them turn around and, and see a new life. And I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what I have to offer. And she leaned on her mop and pointed up to me because if she was five foot tall, it was only because she'd been standing on a box. 
And she pointed out, she said, Mr. Leahy, you know what the scriptures say. When you see these kids, they're all going crazy. And when you see the diseases and you see the earthquakes, when you see the wars and the rumors of wars, you take heart for your salvation draws nigh. And she went back to mopping the floor. <laughs> and I stood there and I thought, it's true. We, I know this. We, we are in the already and not yet kingdom of God. We are perpetually in the Easter season. The white cloth is on the cross. Jesus is already risen. His kingdom is already sure. The victory is already secured. But we're also in the not yet time because not yet everyone who's going to join that kingdom has joined it yet. Not yet all the evil that's going to be defeated has been defeated yet. In fact, evil is lashing out like a wounded animal about to die. One last just hateful, spiteful attempt to injure one more time before it's defeated. That's what evil's doing. And I know this. And I'm here to represent the new kingdom that's already here. And I thanked God for my God appointment with the night custodian. The eunuch wanted to have a mystical moment of baptism. And we're going to have a baptism here in a couple of months in June. And, and in May, I'm going to have a couple of meetings that, uh, for some of you to come to. Because you may be asking, why can't I be baptized? Well, I can't think of a single reason. So come to those meetings and we'll sort that one out. But we have another mystical meeting this morning also that Jesus gave us called communion. And if the servers want to come forward and get ready, communion is a God appointment. You know, it's bread and grape juice, but it points to something mystical. Because on the night Jesus was betrayed before that cross, he took ordinary bread, but then he broke it. He said, this is now my body, broken for you, Isaiah 53 style, so that you will know, even though wounded, even though torn, whipped, and broken, God still comes for you. So we tear off a piece of bread and receive that God. We dip it in a cup because he said, uh, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. There's nothing between you and God now. Those sins are forgiven, so come. So we tear off the bread and we dip it in the cup and we receive it into ourselves. It's just bread and grape juice, but it points to a mystical truth about God. And mystically, we receive it. So everyone in a moment who wants to receive this symbol and affirm it again will be asked to come down and tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Uh, Some of you may never have done this before, but today feels like the right day. Today, the switch is thrown to say, there might be something to this. I'm ready for something new. Some of you have believed it, kind of. Been a long time. You haven't done much with it for the last several or many, many years. If you want, if you're comfortable, I'll be back in the prayer circle. It's uh, that square of chairs there at that corner of the room with the square of lights over it. I'll be back there. And if you want to mark this day as special, I would love to do that with you. I I could, uh, we'll pray together. Prayer would go something like this. Uh, God, I've tried it my way for a long time. And it has not gone how I hoped. I now see I need something more. 
I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your forgiveness. I see that I have it in Jesus. I see that Jesus has made a way to everything that I need. So I want to try something new. I want to try you as a leader of my life. If you have a Holy Spirit of power, as they say, that will come and help guide me, I'll be needing that as well. And we can pray that together right back there. If you'd like to. For everyone sitting there thinking, man, I wished so-and-so would have come today. This would have been perfect for them. We're going to pray for them to get a God appointment of their own. God can reach anyone, as we have seen. So we'll pray for your friends, that they'll, your loved ones, they'll have a God appointment of their very own. Maybe some of you need one. Maybe you're away at college or you started a new job. You're somewhere where you're isolated and you just need to know there's someone else of faith. The night custodian, you don't care, but someone you can talk with, they can encourage you. When I went to college, I met only like one other really Christian person. And, you know, and then I married her, so. Um, <laughs> no, there was a handful, but. She was extra special. Some of you, we're going to pray for mentors for your kids right when they need it the most. And also, let's open ourselves up to hear God's voice this week as he may send us to some strange place to be someone else's God appointment. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray for you to arrange one of these meetings for someone we care about. Put them in the right place to hear the right thing, Lord, to save their life. We pray for our own children, Lord. You'd send them mentors, our grandchildren. You'd send them mentors and guides right when they need it the most. Another voice to say the same thing. That Christ is risen. Pray for ourselves, Lord. You'd send us who may be isolated, someone else of faith to encourage us and help us remember this a kingdom from one Sunday to the next. And we ourselves open ourselves up, Lord, to be your instrument, your God appointment for someone else, Lord. This week, if you want to call us to something strange, to be there and ready to serve you, we're going to be open to that. I'm going to leave you a few moments to pray in silence and make this prayer your own. So uh, let's pray. And we all said together, Amen. He can answer that prayer, you know. He can. Let's say this together. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. Amen. Go in peace and the power of the Holy Spirit.